the trauma healing learnings based on one mom's journal entries recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the blink of an eye story. Trauma Healing Learnings, Season 2, Episode 10, Little Breakthroughs. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, everyone. Thank you for liking us and commenting on our new Instagram post. Each week, we share bonus content and other expansions on trauma healing. For instance, last Friday, we had Noah Porton from Austin, Texas, a mindfulness teacher in training and a chronic illness advocate, take over our Instagram story and talk about what she's learned from Blink of an Eye and her training applying mindfulness practices to trauma. Well, today, I'd like to explore the topic of uncertainty, something that is familiar to all of us. If you're following the companion, Blink of an Eye story, you heard my interview with the Chief of Trauma at Atlanticare and what it was like for the medical team working 12-hour shifts on Archer when there was so much uncertainty and intensity. And you heard about our little breakthroughs that came through from collaboration. Well, this trauma healing learning will explore the emotional experience of uncertainty, the flood that happens in our brains, and the preoccupations of the brain's hard wiring. And... I want to introduce you to one way of engaging with uncertainty, the skill of reflection. I don't mean the kind of thing we do when we look back at our lives. Today, I am talking about an actual skill, something that we can do in our interactions with others. It might be hard to remember a skill when you are very stressed. So you may want to practice it daily, as it's also a wonderful skill for everyday living. It really helps you to listen fully to others, and it helps to get you on the record with them so they can hear you. So let's start with the human experience of uncertainty. Uncertainty is all around us and might even be a daily occurrence for some people. Uncertainty causes stress. It causes stress because the brain is constantly seeking what is familiar. And when it meets with what is unfamiliar, this disrupts what the brain is used to doing, which is scanning quickly for what is familiar. You see, our brains are fast and intelligent. They're hardwired to super quickly scan for what is familiar so that we can get about our days and do multiple things at the same time, like walking and talking. Imagine if our brains had to examine, as if for the first time, every single thing 
we put our eyes on or touched or smelled to figure out what it was. We might not get up out of bed for 30 or 60 minutes each morning just because our brains would need to decide what was a floor or what was a light or how to shut off an alarm. You see, the brain chunks information so we move about with greater ease. If you've not heard of brain chunking, Google it. An example of chunking is when you see letters without vowels and yet you can know what the word is. Or a whole paragraph without vowels and even some consonants and you're still able to read it. That's the brain chunking phenomenon. And it's even featured in the Ripley's Believe It or Not museums. Chunking allows us to have conversations, drive, and do something else like listen to music and to solve problems quickly. Chunking is not paying close attention to details. Rather, it's scanning and filling in the missing data before the data has even been given a chance to be processed because the brain is operating that quickly on memory of what it has previously seen, heard, or experienced. Imagine if every piece of data you encountered throughout the day, your brain had to slow down and decide, is this a leaf? What is that sound? Is it my cell phone ringing or a chirping cricket? or a car out of control. It wouldn't even necessarily get that far if it were all brand new. A coffee mug or a pencil holder or simply something smooth and round and on it goes. We can be so grateful for brain chunking. While I am a mediator, and not a neuroscientist. I have been interested, nonetheless, in neuroscience for years for insights about conflict. I have learned much from brain and mind scientists. High conflict has the same emotional flooding in our brains as does trauma and shock. So teaching about this human experience of shutting down being on hyper alert, and understanding the nature of blood flow that normally would be flowing to the prefrontal cortex of our brains, but instead is rerouted in a split second to the brain stem to protect us is an important understanding. It helps us to know that crazy behavior we have in conflict is because the brain is offline. The prefrontal cortex is that part of the brain located where our foreheads are and on the top of our heads. It's that part of the brain that does our more complex thinking called executive thinking. In conflict, high conflict and trauma, that part of the brain goes offline as the brain reroutes neural impulses to the brain stem, also called 
the reptilian brain for a more primitive response motivated by survival instincts. So the super quick in a split second conflict trigger pushes blood through our bodies to our extremities, our hands and feet to react in fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. We can talk more about these responses later if you're interested. I've been studying them for many, many years. Just write me at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. There are a lot of changes going on in the brain in conflict, stress, and trauma. Now, couple this physiological reactivity of fight, flight, freeze, or collapse, where the blood flow to the brain is constricted with brain chunking, where the brain was glossing over details in order to be efficient, it's highly possible, and indeed likely, that someone in overwhelming stress or trauma is missing many details if such details are not material to survival and is hyper-focused only on the details of survival. How to intervene or be of service to someone in such a state? Well, as a mediator, I have always been humbled by a skill we teach in our conflict transformation skills trainings called reflection. The reflection skill is so powerful because it is so effective. And it's powerful for everyone, including young children and Harvard-educated doctors. Everyone. It's powerful in daily interactions as well to work something out, such as with someone at work or a customer or a patient. It's very powerful in highly stressful communications, including trauma. Why is this so? Because it's a skill that allows a pause, that allows oxygen back up to the prefrontal cortex so the brain can relax and have greater blood flow. So, what is a reflection? Well, essentially, a reflection is just that. You reflecting back to another person exactly what they said. Not your words, theirs. Not what you think they said, but what they actually said. Literally. It's a real art form. Because it's not a mimic. Oh, no, 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 not at all. It's more like honoring what they said with an amplification of what the person said so the person can hear herself or himself. And so that the listener can hear accurately what is meant by the word stated. That's the beauty of it. It's good for all. It allows the speaker to get clear by having the chance to edit or retract 
or even say, I didn't say that, even when they did. And it's not a time to challenge. It's a time to help them get clear. And it allows the other person the chance to hear it again more completely as intended. And now that you know about brain chunking, you can see why a reflection skill is so effective for everyone, including highly intelligent people. (laughs) Perhaps especially highly intelligent people like doctors and surgeons. I relied on this skill when I talked with the three heads and chief of trauma on this day in the blink of an eye story when we wrestled with the decision for a pacemaker surgery and what would be the next step to keep Archer alive. There is another key aspect and tip for how to do the reflection skill well. It's the ability for you to suspend your own judgment and reactivity. You see, it's almost impossible to reflect someone else's words exactly unless you can remain neutral, at least for that moment. And I share this with you because I have witnessed over a hundred thousand times in my mediation practice that when someone in stress or conflict or trauma says something to another person, the other person, even if they're not in stress themselves, often gets it wrong, doesn't hear fully what the person in stress said. And often because what was said was not exactly what was meant. I used to be fascinated as to why that was so, especially for those who have traditional sources of power and education and are very articulate and who say that they are good listeners. I have learned it is because of brain chunking and in trauma, the brain going offline when experiencing this crisis. We can't escape what our brain is hardwired to do, nor do we want to, as it serves us well most of the time. But we can slow that phenomenon down when in stress and high conflict or crisis, when it gets dysregulated. And we can mitigate this phenomenon by offering many reflections of whatever it is that is being said. I tell all my mediators, reflect, 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 to increase the likelihood both sides can hear each other and therefore make more informed decisions. The reflection skill also reduces stress because it clarifies for all involved in the communication. That reduces uncertainty. And when the brain feels more relaxed, it is restored back to equilibrium, what is also referred to as homeostasis. A relational mediator always wants to reduce uncertainty for both sides, for all the people, so that whatever is stated is heard fully 
and whatever is agreed upon is more authentic and more enduring. And this might include reflections of painful or uncomfortable words or statements no one wants to hear again. But it is not about judgment of content. It is about clarity of content and understanding. Reducing the uncertainty and naming the elephant in the room often leads to breakthroughs. And at the very least, neither side feels bamboozled or manipulated when the dialogue amplified by the reflection is more honest. So if you are initiating communication when you are stressed or under a lot of pressure, the reflection skill can help with how you make a request because you are initiating. An effective approach is to state what you need clearly and then to offer a brief reflection of your own situation, allowing the other person to consider your request. Remember brain chunky. Give the brain what is familiar first. Here's an example of what I found in my phone on this day, 2015, in the companion story. The notes I wrote out to guide my telephone conversation with a cardiac surgeon I was reaching out to at Johns Hopkins. Hello, Hugh. Louise Bipsemt here. I hope you are well. I am calling to ask for your professional wisdom in speaking with another cardiac surgeon as my family is in an emergency situation with our son, Archer, who has suffered a spinal cord injury on August 5th. We are at Atlanticare Hospital in New Jersey and they are recommending a pacemaker for him. I am uncertain if a pacemaker is the right course, but Archer has had five heart attacks now in the last five days, and one of them was for over six minutes in duration, where he flatlined on all his vitals. He's only 17 years old, a very strong athlete, with a C5 spinal cord break what they are calling a burst because the force of the impact diving into a sandbar in the ocean shattered his neck, not just fracturing it. He is on a ventilator and lung machines. He has a collapsed lung. He doesn't tolerate being moved, but did tolerate being upright yesterday, propped in a chair. He has a bracardial heart. I am wondering if Archer really needs a pacemaker when his body seems to recover on its own and he is young and strong. And I am wondering if the surgery takes place, on what side of his body it will be placed, and if that matters for long-term use of his arms or hands. He's right-handed, and I believe we'll get some electric impulse back someday. And I don't want to make any decisions now that are irreversible or that could jeopardize his future potential. I would be ever so grateful if you would be willing to speak with the cardiac surgeon here 
about whether a pacemaker is the right course of action. Leading with the request and repeating the request at the end helps the brain that is chunking information to relax and process the other information. It also potentially lessens the phenomenon of blood flow restriction because there are no danger signals sent to the brain. When the body is more at ease, then the brain can absorb the information it needs to determine if it will say yes or no to a request. The more the brain is at ease, the more likely it is to say yes. Making clear requests before you add your reasoning and story is a better way to go from a conflict transformation perspective because it increases the likelihood of the person saying yes on authentic terms. Breakthroughs in communication can occur in trauma. It's helpful what we are learning from science about the brain to understand how offline it is when under so much stress, no matter how smart we are, and to know that there are a number of ways we can be responsive to those in crisis. And one way we can help the brain recalibrate is with reflections and clear requests. Yes, the reflection skill is a critical tool and even a way of life to add to your toolbox, or as we say, to live into as a way of good communication with others. It's a relational skill. It's good for others and it's good for you. So as we close, you know, I haven't talked about the divine spirit in a while, and I think I will now. If you're hurting this week with a loss or are under what seems like insurmountable stress about something in your life, whatever it is, consider asking God to nourish you at the deepest level of your soul. Talk with God in the silence of your day and listen for God's reflection of your thoughts. You will hear his wisdom. God always encourages us to not settle for less, but to go deeper in the mystery of our lives deeper in the mystery of our relationships and deeper in the mystery of our relationship with him or her, the divine. Help us, Lord, to go deeper with others, to suspend our judgment for just a little while, to be curious, to speak the truth, to hear others fully, and to advocate for new understandings. Give us courage to go deeper with ourselves, Lord, to look at our patterns, 
to gain new insight, to unblock the scar tissue of our past wounds that cause us suffering, and to set free what prevents us from living fully. Allow us, Lord, to feel your compassion for our past, our childhood wounds, and to be compassionate with those who do not meet our needs and compassionate with ourselves for being so needy. And let us look to you to meet all our needs and as our guide, as our greatest advocate. Let us live into the reflection of your light and let us experience breakthroughs as we feel your presence and know we are never alone. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Thank you for tuning in to the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the companion Blink of an Eye story at Episode 10, Little Breakthroughs. Thank you for listening, and thank you for telling your friends. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. to blink of an eye we ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration a lift or who may relate never miss an episode listen on our website blink of an or subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts